The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Would you pray with me, please? Go ahead and remain standing. Lord Jesus, we um, recognize this is the perfect day, the perfect day to come and worship, to give you adoration in celebration of your birth. It clarifies, Lord, the reality that you are alive. And like anyone we love, we, we want to be with you on a special day. Not only the, the day that we celebrate your birth, but the day of the week that signifies your resurrection. So it's a day of life, newborn life and resurrection life. And our hope, Lord, is in you. Lord, we marvel at the thought of your birth. That the one who spoke everything into existence did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born, born in the likeness of men, truly God and truly man. So we thank you for calling us to yourself, inviting us to come and adore you. Lord, may this time of worship be both pleasing to you and joyful to your people. Bless the rest of our our time together as we read your word and as we continue this celebration throughout the rest of this very special day and time of year. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Turn your Bibles to Matthew 2, 1 through 12. And, I, you know, I have to say, we've been um, announcing this service to be a shorter service. And, um, you know, I mentioned it to my son-in-law, Jake, and he's like, hey, if I'm going to get my family together and bring them down here, let's make it worthwhile. So, if you've got a problem with the length of the service, you, you just take it up with Jake. Okay, Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before, before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly 
with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is God's word. You know, I love Christmas traditions. Don't you? I love the decorations and, you know, that, that it's a good thing that I love decorations because Jennifer is a, a wonderful decorator. And uh, so I appreciate that. I love the lights, though I don't really enjoy putting them up. Uh, I love the memories of, of our daughters coming into our room on Christmas morning. They're grown and out of the house now. And, but, you know, they knew the tradition of our home. They were not allowed to, to move past the edge of the hallway into the living room where the gifts are under the Christmas tree. They could not pass that until mom and dad were up. And so they would come in at way too early. I don't know. Five in the morning or something like that, jumping on the bed to wake us so that they can get out there. And, and one of my favorite traditions, it became a tradition, was to, was to say, okay, I'm up, I'm up, I'm up. And then they'd run to the edge of the hallway and wait for me to come out. And then I'd pretend to go back to sleep. And then they'd come running in and jump on me. No, oh, I'm up, I'm up, I'm up. And we'd repeat that like four or five times. I like to torture my kids on Christmas morning. Um, so that was, a, that was a wonderful memory. I love all the things that go along with Christmas. The family get-togethers, the parties. And we should appreciate the great blessing that these things are, even to unbelievers as well, right? Because... You know, think of it. No other time of the year do they hear, do they sing, do they tend to accept Christmas carols that celebrate and honor Jesus. Yes, there's the reindeer ones and stuff like that. But you hear of Christ. They hear of Christ. Even the expression, Merry Christmas, it's an opportunity for them to hear of Christ. And the word Mary... You know, it does mean joyful. It does mean happy. So it really doesn't make sense for us to get all grumpy over someone saying, Happy holidays. Don't worry about it. Be merry. Be happy. What do you expect, really? What do you expect? It shouldn't be a threat to us. We, of all people, should, we should communicate joy. So don't get uptight over songs about bells and reindeer. Don't bother criticizing cartoons. It just reinforces people's opinions that Christians are grumpy and judgmental. When the reality is that we, of all people, we should, we should enjoy life. We should be gracious and joyful and loving. We ought to let people see the joy of Jesus in us. And we should be overly, we shouldn't um, be people who are overly guilty in our enjoyment of, of commercialism, of gift giving, as if we think Jesus would, 
be more pleased by a Pharisee-like separation than being holy and above it all. No, enjoy. Enjoy it. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you can do it to the glory of God. And obviously, this isn't a license to sin, but don't you think parties and giving gifts and enjoying people can be done to the glory of God? Jesus liked parties. He, he loved being around people. Who, and who was it that criticized him for this? Not the people we want to emulate. Our faith is a celebration. And God is the giver of all good gifts. And so, I think he wants us to get a kick out of our children's excitement over lights and decorations and presents. Jesus is the reason. And as they grow up in the church and see us using all of these circumstances as a matter of joy and God's glory, they'll get it. They'll get it. So have a tree. Make it beautiful. As long as you don't offer sacrifices to it and bow down to it, you're not participating in some pagan ritual. No, God is a God of beauty and celebration. And he tells us to look forward to a party, doesn't he? A great feast to come. This, these are the terms that God uses. So this, this is a joyful celebration. And if you, if you stayed home and you're watching online, great. You've taken, you've set aside some time to participate with us. To participate and worship Jesus. And those who made the trip this morning, you know, speaking of trips, how about those magi, huh? In, in our text. <laughs> okay. If you love the song, We Three Kings, I'm glad Justin didn't do it this morning. I hope you're not offended. It's a, it's a good song, I hope, but I hope you're not offended because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to criticize it just a little bit this morning. Nothing severe. Don't worry, nothing severe, but the wise men weren't kings. That's one. Um, and here's a little, little Christmas trivia question for you. Um, I'm, I've stolen this from Elder Steve Murphy, used it at our um, deacon and elder Christmas party. Here's the trivia question for you. You ready? You can, you, can, you can shout it out if you want. Kids, you can, you can let me know the uh, answer that you think to this question. Um, can you tell me how many wise men traveled to see baby Jesus? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, that's the right answer to everything, Matt. Um, Steve Murphy likes these trick questions. And some of you said the right thing. The answer is, we don't know. The text doesn't say. People assume three because there are three gifts. There are, there's gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So they think of uh, three wise men coming. But we really don't know. More likely, more likely, it was a big group of people. Because they traveled up to a thousand miles over foreign lands. 
And I know this messes up your nativity scene to have dozens of leaders and soldiers and servants, but, but think about it. Would people have noticed and reported to King Herod three guys on camels? They wouldn't even notice them. So, um, so maybe get a bigger mantle or something. That would accommodate the soldiers and stuff. So there weren't three. And they also weren't kings. No, they were magi. They were wise men. Think of, think of Daniel and his friends in exile. They were, what? They were counselors to the king. Like a cabinet to a president. They were, they were educated men seeking truth, trained to counsel and advise the king. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, they explained their journey saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And people, now people have said that the Magi, they studied the heavens in a day when there wasn't a lot of boundary between astronomy and astrology. But for us, we know that the Bible forbids and even mocks astrology. In Isaiah, we read something to the effect of, you gaze into the stars and give counsel, but you can't even save yourself. Kind of like joking about the the fortune teller who lives in the poor part of town. Um, and, and with this in mind, it's a bit shocking that these are the people, these are the people that God spoke to. Pagan stargazers. Herod, the king of the Jews, wants to kill the baby, and yet these, these pagans have come to worship him. It's just like God to call sinners and not the not the good people the magi remind us of something jesus said i didn't come for the righteous i came for sinners some have suggested that as wise men they probably they probably had some scriptures likely the words of the prophet daniel who while in exile was actually a member of their tribe And so they knew his predictions concerning the birth of a royal deliverer in Israel. And knowing this, when they they saw this mysterious star pointing to Jerusalem, they, they followed it. They come looking. While the Jewish leaders who who have the entirety of scriptures, of the scriptures, seem to don't they don't have a clue. They have no idea. And now, how funny it must have seemed to those in Herod's court that these pagan magi, they're they're coming into the, to see the Jewish king asking where the new king was born. And they must have thought something like, you know, if the king of the Jews was born, then why doesn't anyone in Jerusalem, the capital, know about this royal birth? But their ignorance is to their shame. Because... This is a royal birth. It's God's own son who was called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's a big event. And big events, what? Big events demand a response. All of the beauty, 
all of the traditions of the season. These are a response to something that happened over 2,000 years ago. All of the, think of it, all of the, the hymns, the church music over centuries, the worship, the literature, the sermons, they're a response. Big events demand a response. When a championship is won, we respond with parades. The enormity of wars and the sacrifice of soldiers cause us to respond with with days set aside to remember and show honor. Big events demand a response. And God declared this one from the heavens. And what we see here... What we see in our text are some different responses. So I want to think about those responses this morning. First, the first response that we can think of is the anger of Herod. When Herod heard of these wise men seeking the newborn king of the Jews, he maybe he thought, baby? Honey, did we have a baby recently? What's going on here? And knowing that there wasn't a baby in his house, Herod interpreted their report as a threat. Herod, Herod's an interesting guy. He'd been king for nearly 30 years. He was old, and uh, not very long after this, after Jesus' birth, he died. And what history tells us is that Herod, Herod was incredibly gifted. He was gifted in combat and rhetoric and politics. He excelled in, in famine relief and building projects. But he was also known to be, to be cruel and that he grew to be paranoid, always fearing that someone was plotting to kill him. And so he, he ended up executing his wife and three of his sons. And this gives us some insight to his response about Jesus and why he ordered that the, the young male children in Bethlehem be killed. And when you really think about Herod's response... I wonder if the guy was just out of his mind. Because it seems, when you think about it, it's really irrational. He's the king of the Jews. After all, so wouldn't you think that being the king of the Jews, you're going you're to believe in the prophecies about their coming Messiah, that he'd be born in Bethlehem, and believing this, wouldn't he have known that this is God's doing and that it would be impossible for him to ruin God's plan and why would he even want to? Isn't this the long expected hope uh, of his people and himself? But on the other hand, I think it's so irrational because on the other hand, okay, if the Magi were wrong, and this baby is just some ordinary baby. Why is he so threatened? He must, have been, he must have been out of his mind with paranoia. Again, if the Magi are wrong, why bother? And if they're right, why resist your own God and work against something that you know you can't undo? So what we learn from this is that rebellion against God makes no sense. It's irrational. It makes people fools. Second, a second response we see to Jesus' birth is the anxiety of the people of Jerusalem. Matthew says that when Herod 
became disturbed. All Jerusalem became disturbed with him. And isn't this like so many tyrants throughout history? They're talented and fearless, vain and cruel and violent. Okay, now I don't mean to offend any of you moms, but I wonder whether they were uh, saying things like, you know, if Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Um, From the day of his birth, Jesus, he experienced hostility and resentment and, and upheaval and suffering. It was an atmosphere that led to a suppression of joy, anxiety, and fear, they tend to do this. They tend to suppress joy. They paralyze people from a right response to this glorious event. But some must, you know, some of the people must have known. They must, some people must have been looking as the Magi were. Some knew the scriptures that Jeremiah said the Messiah would be a king, and now the Magi, they're coming looking for this Jewish king. They must have known that Isaiah said, nations will come to your light. And here the Magi, representing the the nations, are coming because of a light God put in the sky. They must have known that numbers prophesied a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. Some must have known, but, but their anxiety robbed them of what should have been their joy. And in our increasingly secular society, there's a, there's a growing anxiety that we feel. People respond differently, don't they, to Christianity even to Christmas in our culture today. And we might be tempted to respond with anxiety or anger in return. But what would this do? This would rob us of the right response that we should have, which is joy, joy that God intends for us. If there's any joy in our culture, it ought to be evident in God's people. And especially as we celebrate our Savior's birth. A third response that we see to Jesus' birth is the apathy of the chief priests and the scribes. Now when Herod, Herod heard the news, what did he do? He calls in, he calls in the experts. Um, and it's interesting that he asks for the chief priests and the scribes. It's interesting because... These two groups didn't get along. The scribes, the scribes were, they're the conservative teachers of the scriptures. They wanted to preserve traditional Jewish culture. That's what they were about. The chief priests, they're not not simply priests. More specifically, the chief priests were the Sadducees. And the Sadducees, they're all about accommodating Roman authority and Greek culture. So the, so the scribes would have seen them as, well, they would have been in conflict. They maybe even seen them as traitors who, who are only concerned about power and wealth. And so Herod calls these two in. It'd be like asking conservatives and liberals to give an answer that they agree on. Impossible. So Herod, he's thinking, uh, if they agree, 
If they agree, it must be right. Herod wants to know where the Messiah will be born. And, and they say, well, Bethlehem, of course. Everyone knows that it's prophesied. It's in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2 is what they quote. And we get a sense that their attitude is, is that all? And shrug their shoulders and leave. The most incredible, most central, most long-awaited news is, is asked of them. And they know the answer. And we don't see them saying, wait a minute, Herod, what's going on here? Tell us, is something happening? We don't see them going to Jerusalem or joining the Magi or even even asking, even investigating. They're not even curious about the most incredible news of all. The one that they know the answer to in scripture, nothing. They go home, they say to their families, hey, guess what? The king sought my counsel today and I gave him the right answer. He seemed happy. What's for dinner? Just on with life. You can't be, we can't be ho-hum about Christ. Not, not in our celebration of Christmas and not in the way that we live and worship throughout the year. There's no greater focus in life because everything revolves around him. He is the reason for this. And every, he's the reason for every season of the year and every season of life. Okay, yes, there are many important issues of our day and of But you know what? If we make them central, if you're all about the issues of the day instead of Christ and his gospel, you might have good intentions, but you're going to find yourself apathetic to the power of the gospel and not be the salt and light that you know that you should be and hope that you would be. Their response, it's, it's pathetic in its apathy. So we need to both know the truth and respond in a way that glorifies God. Now, the fourth response does exactly this. It has a right response. This response is the adoration of the magi to the newborn king. Adoration, it's a good word. It means the act of worship, profound love or regard, the act of paying honor, as in the supreme worship due to God alone. Okay, now even though our nativity scenes are inaccurate, I love seeing the three wise men. I love seeing the baby Jesus in the feeding trough. I'm not sure if Evangel will take returns on your Uh, nativity scenes, but most agree that Herod's order to kill boys two years and younger implies Jesus was probably walking around by the time they got there, not in a feeding trough. Okay, don't throw away your nativity scenes because the real point is the adoration of Jesus and how amazing it is that he he is both God and man. 
The Magi may not have known the reality of this king, but their response is right. God alone is to be worshipped, and we see them bowing in worship and bringing gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And if you've ever heard a sermon on the symbolic meanings of these gifts, that too is probably wrong. I'm just... I'm sorry. I hope I'm not ruining any of your traditions or... But that too is probably... Some have suggested, you know, that we just let the Magi be what they are, which is wise men from the East. And that they... They didn't choose their gifts with some obscure Old Testament passages in mind, but they brought them with their understanding of the court in mind. They knew that when a man meets a king, he's to bring gifts. And so the Magi simply brought Jesus the best gifts that they could find. Not nearly as cool as those other sermons. But um, let's let the Magi be Magi. It was also custom for a king to give something back to his visitors. And this royal family, you know, they're in poverty. They have nothing. They, they had nothing to give. They probably used these gifts to, to pay for their flight to Egypt. And yet we understand that later Jesus would give the best gift of all, a gift to all who come and worship him. We worship him. We give offerings of money and time and service. But truly, we are the recipients of the best gift of all. Not only the hope of eternal life to come, but the joy in offering ourselves today. These characters in Matthew's account represent responses to Jesus in every day. Herod is this extreme... Example of Antichrist, and I don't mean the final character to come, but, but all those who hate Jesus and his church. And John tells us in his epistle that, that in his day, many Antichrists had already come, and that the spirit of Antichrist is denying that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, saying that he's not from God. This spirit, you know, it's always... It's existed ever since Herod. All throughout history, there have been those who sought to destroy the king and his people. And we've seen it in rulers and philosophers and popular atheists of our day, inciting hatred to Christianity. Herod's response is hatred. And the people's response is fear. And in fear, societies have given in to great threats, not wanting disapproval, not wanting to be mocked, not wanting to um, have any financial loss that may come when you stand for the truth. But we're not a people controlled by fear, but a people of hope. God's word tells us, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Jesus demands a response. And we see hatred and fear, and in the failure of the 
chief priests and scribes, we see apathy, we see this compartmentalization. No heart, no joy, no worship. We can't be a people who simply know the truth and then, you know, set it aside until Sunday. Our entire life is to be worship. We're to give ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And if we can eat and drink to the glory of God, then there must be a way. There must be a way to enjoy gift giving and Christmas parties and traditions to the glory of God. Don't compartmentalize on this day. Don't compartmentalize it into some uh, secular and sacred things. No, do it all for the glory of God. Give thanks for all of the beauty, all of the enjoyments. Be mindful of his grace and love for you. And whatever you do, do this every day, not just today. And this is the response of the Magi. The central focus is that the, the king has been born. They didn't have the knowledge of the, of the scribes, but they knew how to respond. That this king was worth a long, expensive trip. He was worth leaving work and home and family to follow the star. He was worth the danger of foreign lands and the discomfort of lumpy, smelly camels. They knew little, but they acted on what they knew and they brought costly gifts. So our challenge is one of worship. And worship has to do with his worth, expressing his worth verbally and and in our lives, in our actions. Is he worth it? Is he worth the sacrifice of getting up and coming to church on a Sunday? Is he worth your singing, even though you can't hold a tune? Sit in the front row like me. Is he worth your attention, your note-taking, your listening as you hear the word preached? Is he worth your loving others in a way that reflects his love for you? Is he worth the discomfort of what others may think when they know that you're a Christian? Is he worth the use of your gifts to bless others in the church? Gifts of hospitality and music and teaching and service. What are you good at? God's the one who gifted you. And there's joy when you use your gifts in worship for him. So, so on this Christmas day, worship him. Be mindful of him. Speak of him. Give thanks to him. Trust him for the rest of your lives as you offer him the precious gift of your entire life. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, you've given us the best gift of all. A gift that not only gives us a a certain hope for eternity, but a confidence and joy for today and every day. A gift of a person and not a mere fact. The person of your son, Jesus, who who is with us, who knows us, who loves us. So, Lord, make us mindful of you in our celebrating, to enjoy the traditions and blessings of this season and life, and to have you enter into our thinking.
That in the midst of our joy and pleasure, we'd have the realization that you are, you are so good. And that every, every good and perfect gift comes from you. So we give you thanks. We give you praise. We ask for more and more blessings in Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.